Hi, my name's Tori and I wish I knew more about blood products. Hi, my name's Letitia. I wish I knew more about taking care of myself when starting shift work. Hi, my name is Lydia. I wish I would know more about how to work as in a team and solve conflict. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with a global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. Hello. My name is Liz Crow, And I'm Jesse Spur. Welcome to another episode of Five Things, where today we're going to speak with Zanna Byrne, who's the clinical nurse at the Gastroenterology Unit here at the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. And she's going to teach us about five things on endoscopy. Welcome, Zanna. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. Hey, Zanna. Nice to have you. We'd love to get your origin story. Take us right back. What got you into nursing and then uh, into this specialised area of nursing? Funnily enough, I've actually always known that I was going to be a gastro nurse from the age of four. What? Yeah. So I remember my grandma had a really sore tummy one day and I was just like, yeah, you know, you should bend over and you should stick that thing in your butt and it'll make you feel so much better. (laughs) I was four years old. Yeah, no joke. And so every now and then my family's just like, oh my God, we always knew that you were going to be an endoscopy nurse. And even as a student, I was really drawn to it. So my third year I did somewhere in GE and I've been an endoscopy nurse ever since. Sounds like with that story, your alternate career paths could have been a lot less productive. It's very true. (laughs) Maybe made more money, but I guess we'll never know. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) All right. It it is an interesting specialty area. Um, What do you think it is about it that you just like so much? I think actively and physically participating in the care of the patient is amazing. I've done ward nursing and I do love it. I just actually like taking out those polyps or that cancer or a tumour and just helping people kind of even get a diagnosis. It's horrible in a way, but you feel like you're actively helping in their care path, which is good. I get that. There's an element of closure, like a lot yeah. of a lot of other ward-based nursing and even ICU is you've got this thin slice, stuff's not resolved, Yeah. kind of... Yeah, just move it on to the next thing and then the next bit of complexity comes along. I totally get that with procedural sort of area stuff. Exactly. It's a nice feeling sometimes when you can close a circle on someone or just say, you know what, you can come back in five years this time. And that's really nice to see. So is some of your role procedural? Yes, absolutely. So I am the clinical nurse in GE upstairs. I do procedural work sometimes, but I mostly floor coordinate, which is basically the inpatient liaison. So I help the doctors bring the inpatients through that they've categorised as quite urgent or what needs to be done. And then I also help the outpatients as well, bring them through the process and just teach our staff what to do and when to escalate things. Yeah, perfect. All right, well, let's get into it. Your number one is what is endoscopy and why do we do it? So endoscopy is such a big umbrella, which is why I'm glad that we've kind of broken down the questions a bit. But basically it means to look with a scope. So it could be upper GI, lower GI, anything in the gastrointestinal tract. And we have so many different procedures that we do. And I think a common mistake is calling an endoscopy the one that we do in the upper GI tract. That's actually called a gastroscopy, 
which means that we are looking at the above. We're not looking down below. So technically a colonoscopy comes under that umbrella as well. So I'm glad that we're touching on that. This is embarrassing, but I am one of those people. I always thought an endoscopy meant it was just in your upper tract. I didn't realise that it was like all the scopes. Yeah, and that's completely normal. And that's, you know, it's been that way for years, ever since I started endoscopy. So I'm yeah. A loser. <laughs> no, they call it something different in America as well. It's all, yeah, it's yeah. all sort of new to people. Okay, great. I also just wanted to touch on the two different types of procedural work that we would do. So the first one would be diagnostic. So that's your regular gastroscopies, colonoscopies. People have had positive FOBs and things like that. What's, that's sorry, more, what's a FOB? Oh, the faecal occult blood test. Okay. So that's what you do when you get over a certain age or if you have those symptoms and you see your GP. And if that's positive, then it comes to us. And that's a diagnostic scope. So we're looking for something then. We're looking for what's going to solve the problem of your symptoms. And then we also have therapeutic scopes, which means that we're going to intervene. We're going to do some interventional work, such as even like take off polyps or things like that, or even bigger things when we're removing cancer and so on. So those are the two different umbrellas that we handle. All right, great. So your number two is what is a gastroscopy? You're looking in the upper GI tract. What are you mainly looking for? Basically, we're looking to solve the symptoms that the patient brings to us. That would be, I'm going to say, half of what I'm going to talk about. So that would be gastric ulcers and things like that from mainly reflux. A lot of people get reflux and a lot of people are on the proton pump inhibitors for that. And sometimes long-term use can cause polyps of the stomach, which can bleed, which is something else that we look at. The other thing would be bariatric surgery can have complications. We often see leaks and such and we can help treat them and try and stent them to open up and make sure that the food and the fluid isn't draining into the other cavities and to make sure that it heals over time. The other thing that we look at is surveillance. So there's something called Barrett's esophagus, which can be precancerous cells in the esophagus that we need to sometimes treat with another procedure called HALO, which is an ablation. So we would ablate that cell and hopefully it would grow back as normal tissue, which is just incredible rather than having to put them through a large surgery to remove it. I think anything surgically done by the esophagus can really change a person's life. So we are the step before that, the try and helps it. And when I say surveillance, we often get people who have had a history of it or a family history of it and we bring them in on a regular basis to make sure that we're looking to see if they're going to develop it. I love the names of these procedures. So Halo, there's clearly a lot of gammas in endoscopy. Oh, see, I was going for Beyonce. (laughs) So there you go. Depends what your frame is, clearly. (laughs) All right. So the gastroscopy is what numpties like me think is what is an endoscopy. That's exactly right. But we need to remember that an endoscopy is the umbrella term for the scope. right. Right. Perfect. So your number three is what is a colonoscopy? So a colonoscopy is looking through the rectum all the way into the small bowel if you can get there. Sometimes the large bowel is a little tricky and especially if they've used it lifelong and they're into their 60s to 80s to even 90s, it can get a little bit floppy. So that could be a reason that someone couldn't make it to the cecum, which is the end of the large bowel, and that's when it starts to come into the small bowel. So we see the end of the ileum, which we call the terminal ileum, And that is what you would call the end of a colonoscopy. And then on the way out, 
that's when they're going to look behind every fold and to see what they can see. So obviously polyps are the first thing that we're looking for in a colonoscopy, but there are other things like little bleeds and you can also have diverticulosis, which is the small pockets of the bowel that have become weak and they get the seeds and everything stuck in them, which causes diverticulitis. So we get a lot of people in who have ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease and they're handled really well by our IBD clinic and they come through for surveillance. And I would say that they're some of the patients that you get to see the most and develop a lot of rapport with because it's lifelong. And so it's quite nice sometimes to see them come in for their yearly checkups and just see that everything is going okay. It can also go the opposite way and they can have really intense flares and they're hospitalized for a really long period of time. So those IBD patients you do get that nice rapport with, but they're basically coming in to check to see if it was much different from their last procedure on a cellular level. So we take a lot of pathology from the IBD patients from ulcerative colitis and from Crohn's just to keep a check on them. So we have done a whole episode on bowel prep for a colonoscopy. Um, what I'm curious about is that with the colonoscopy and with the gastroscopy, we give sedation in Australia. If it's, you know, if the gastroscopy takes 15 minutes, it must be pretty light sedation. Yeah, so they don't do a GA. So a general anaesthetic is for something that's generally going to be longer than an hour or depending on how unwell the patient is. So if the patient is quite comorbid, we will have to do a general anaesthetic. But say that it is a straightforward gastroscopy, it's 15 minutes and they wake up and they know nonetheless, like everything is like it was before basically. Yeah, you've got no memory of the situation. Yeah, exactly. They wake up and they're like, oh, I can't be fed. Like, I haven't had it yet. Yeah. It happens to me all the time. And it's lovely when they're like rejecting the sandwiches and you have to convince them that they've had it. <laughs> it's so good. It's all over. Yeah, it's all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Terrific. And so with both of these procedures, do you have like a big video screen up that you're able to see what's doing? Like the scope is like a, I'm imagining like a little camera that's going through. Yeah. I should have probably touched on this before on what is on the scopes, but there is a camera. There's also an additional channel, which is like, I guess, a fire hose. So, and when we're touching on the bowel prep, if it's not clear, we can only use so much of that irrigation to see what's behind it. So that also helps clear out the bubbles in the stomach from the bile as well. And then we have a biopsy channel. So that's our working channel that we use for biopsies, snaring, any equipment that we have to put down the scope to do anything interventional. On the scope, we also have a little thing like a windscreen wiper. So that's just to clear our way. And it's also, it's so <laughs> it's cute. So That's kind of cute and kind of freaky. Exactly. If you think about it like you're down there, like you need to sort of clear your way through, like I can see clearly now. Seriously, we should just put that song in the background. Um, but it also has a working channel to put some gas down. So we use CO2 to insufflate through both the gastroscopy and the colonoscopy. Because as you can imagine, it's sort of a collapsed organ. It's not going to be full of air all the time. That would make us really... Really uncomfortable. So we use CO2, which is easily digestible. Back in the day, they just used to use air, which used to give people a lot of wind pain. Mm -hmm. So we're very lucky that these that we can use that these days. Um, so that just also, if they put their finger over the two buttons on the scope, over the air water channel, then that will insufflate them with gas. So they only have two buttons on their scope that they're using, which is one is suction, one is the air water. 
And this is almost on every scope and then the additional channel which clears everything out. Yeah. So I'm imagining like kind of a, <laughs> a poly sort of floppy thing. It's got a camera on it with a little windscreen wiper and it's kind of got some air that's pushing <laughs> things out the way and, and you know, like do you put a lubricant on it? Like how is we it do. pushing yes. it through? Yes. Our doctors yes. are very lovely. They use lots of lube. <laughs> we have, yeah, an exorbitant amount of lube in our unit, which is great. Yeah. Um, but that's another thing. We use flexible scopes. So in other units that would do different types of scopes, they can use rigid ones. So ours are all quite flexible and so is all the equipment that we put down them. And we have big screens everywhere in our unit, which is amazing because also the anaesthetics need to see there. So sometimes we'll share the screen and you can see everything on it, including x-ray for some of the procedures that we do as well. So the big camera, I guess, would be the biggest part of the scope when you're looking directly at it and the suction channel because you obviously need a lot of suction to get all of that out. And the little windscreen wiper is more like a little of water. <laughs> it's not like an actual windscreen like, wiper. Uh, 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 but <laughs> I will feed that back to them and the company, maybe I'll get onto them, we can work something out. <laughs> I'm imagining having something flick across as it goes through, you, through your gut is not going to feel good. Yeah, I think let's stick like with the water. Wind, it's more like a windscreen washer. Than <laughs> yes, that's, yeah. yes, that's correct. Okay. But a wiper is such a nice picture to get. <laughs> It's a cute little windscreen wiper, like on the magic school bus. That's what I'm picturing now. We're still going through the GI tract. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the only people your age that would remember the magic school bus now oh are gosh. endoscopists. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. That's so embarrassing. I've shown my age. I can assure you I'm still very young. No, that's <laughs> what I mean. It hasn't hit the youngsters, the magic school bus. Oh, but that's such a good way to put it though. Whenever I try and explain endoscopy or colonoscopies to someone, I will often reference it to that. We need to look inside of the organs that's going through the GI tract and that's basically us just in our little school bus at the end of the scope, looking at things, diagnosing, seeing if we can do anything with our hands while we're down there. Yeah, wow. Okay. So your number four is what are the other types of scopes that you are involved with? So there are many different types of scopes that we use up there, which is really exciting to talk about actually. And there are a lot of new technologies coming out, but I would say the main other one that we would do is ERCPs. What does that stand for? (laughs) Endoscopic retrograde cholangiopancreatography. And what what on earth would do you do with good, one of those? Good luck saying that in the, in the, <laughs> the summaries. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what it's do a you tough do with one. The ERCP. What is that? So we're mainly looking at the liver and the structures around it, such as the gallbladder and the pancreas. So we use X-ray for that procedure and a special side viewing scope. So the ampulla is in the second part of the duodenum. And we just look basically to the side because it's tucked up under a little fold. And if you're using one of our normal scopes, like a gastroscope, you'll completely miss it sometimes. It's very hard to locate. And if we're trying to cannulate that duct, sometimes it can take over half an hour or more, just depending on their anatomy as well. So we go in through the duct through some of our equipment and then we use x-ray to see what we're doing and x-ray guidance to mostly guide out stones So all the gallstones that are maybe left in the bile duct. Most of these people do have their gallbladder out and there's residual stones or sludge in the duct that we're trying to remove and the common bile duct will become blocked and that's how they get really jaundiced. So how do you get up there? Does the ERCP also through 
your rectum or are you going through a different no. hole? Yeah, so we're always going um, like a gastroscopy through the mouth yeah. down in through your stomach to the duodenum. And we use these little sphincterotomes to cut open the sphincter to gain access uh, because the stones aren't draining out for a reason. The sphincter isn't big enough to let them through. So we need to open that up first and then sometimes we have to dial the duct or the sphincter up and then we go through and we use a very cute little balloon, if I may say, to blow it up where the stones are and then drag them out like a balloon trawl. I re- this was one of the first really interesting procedures I saw as a student. I still remember it. And um, I, I think it's probably worth just a little rewind to just recap the anatomy with what we're yep. looking at is um, you mentioned the ampulla yes. um, in the duodenum. So that's just the that's the opening of the bile duct into the duodenum, into the that part of this start of the small intestine. Um, and then the bile duct goes up to the gallbladder. So those stones are forming in the gallbladder and obstructing or something's obstructing that bile duct and it's so it's cholangitis pain um which can then have knock-on effects to liver function and stuff so there's different ways it can be seen the disease but it's basically gallbladder disease or or bile duct disease that's being looked at and treated with this yeah and i think on that anatomy scale as well something that's really important to touch on is the pancreas so the pancreatic duct also drains out of there which would be like a clear juice and the bile is obviously like a dark apple juice so it's very clear to us which one is which and when we go down there most of the time the bile is not draining at all and it's important for us to see that the pancreas has a clear way to drain because pancreatitis is extremely dangerous and it is the number one thing that you do not want to happen in ERCP. So it's not uncommon for us to put in a pancreatic stent. If when we're trying to cannulate the bile duct through the cut ampulla, we go up into the pancreatic duct, that's a big risk for them to get some inflammation there. We would probably put a stent in afterwards just to make sure that the pancreas juice is um, draining. Yeah. So much more procedural than I guess I was imagining. It's, yeah, it is very intense. We run lists that just do ERCPs all morning so that we can do them back to back. And uh, another exciting procedure that we do is called a spyglass. So that's in an ERCP, it goes through the scope, up through the bile duct. And we actually have a small camera on that piece of equipment so we can now visualise the bile duct. It's not done in very many places and we don't do them too often but it's if there's an abnormally large stone or something that we need to basically go up and crumble to retrieve. Spyglass, I love that. So cool. Yeah, 007, (laughs) that's it. Who knew what was happening in in a gastro unit near you? (laughs) The the dexterity involved in operating the scope with this is unbelievable. Like I've seen a number of different endoscopic procedures, but the dexterity of the operator for an ERCP is phenomenal to watch. It's particularly hard. So if you can imagine the distal tip of the scope is completely out of our control and we're operating something from outside of that. So that's in a very, very tiny duct. You know, sometimes it's only a couple of millimetres. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it is quite intense when you're watching and quite particular. As I said, sometimes it can take a really long time to cannulate that little duct. And sometimes that's probably what takes the longest amount of time. Once you're in there and you have access and you're stable, which is also important, um, then it's pretty straightforward sometimes from there. But if the patient, you know, they're having a lot of mobility within the organs as well, so in the small bowel, which is quite mobile, it's quite hard to stay stable. Yeah, okay. Are there any other scopes that you want to talk to us about? 
we also do endoscopic ultrasound. So it is hand in hand with that ERCP style that we are looking at the intrahepatics and the common bile duct, the pancreatic duct. And that's how we can see stones as well sometimes or tumours in the liver, things like that, and cysts. And that's how we would drain cysts. So sometimes we do procedures that are both EUS and ERCP. One of the bigger ones that we do, they can take a long time. And both of these scopes, the ultrasound and the scope for the ERCP, are particularly sterilised. They go through a special sterilisation procedure that we wouldn't normally do for the other scopes, purely because, as I said, sometimes we can go through that wall up into the pancreas and the gallbladder and the bile duct. So we need to be particularly careful with our cleaning of the scopes on that one. Yeah. It's quite fascinating. I can see why you're really attracted to it. it. There's so much. There's just – it's – just untapped like I've been in it for almost 11 years now and we're still learning we're still doing all these new procedures that have never been done before in the country it's super exciting yeah okay any other exciting (laughs) procedures do they have cool names as well it does and that's why I wanted to talk about it no it's also really cool it's called the power spiral yeah I love a good power spiral (laughs) (laughs) how'd you make that sound dirty (laughs) (laughs) it's an accident I mean, once you hear about it, maybe it won't be. I don't know. So what do you do with a power spiral? (laughs) So it's a type of enteroscopy that we do. And an enteroscopy often just means that we need to look further into the small bowel. So there's three parts of the small bowel, the duodenum, the jejunum and the ileum. And I must admit that this is only for people who haven't had surgery which is sometimes rare these days, but we are sometimes looking through the jejunum into the ileum from the mouth, which is fantastic. So we've done power spirals before that have gone all the way from the mouth, through the gut, through the small bowel, out to the other side, to the large bowel, which is absolutely insane to me. And when I first started endoscopy, I honestly did not think that that would be a capability of ours that we could do. So I really enjoy talking about that one. That one's interesting. I'm putting it on the spot, but what sort of distance is that what meters yeah yeah meters of small bowel so however many meters of small bowel that there is we're going through all of that so basically we're gathering it up like a I would say like a slinky sort of you know how you can stretch a slinky for maybe over a meter Mm -hmm. and then put it back together in that small amount that's basically what the scope is doing so as it's propelling forward it's bringing small bowel back towards us in little loops behind us so that we can move forward can I ask a damn question because I, I literally know nothing about this. So I'm imagining like it's a slinky but does it like have a little motor in it or you're just feeding it, it manually or is it like like So that's what's through. amazing. So we do other types of enteroscopy that has a balloon mechanism in it. So we would be propelled forward, we would inflate that balloon and then we would kind of bring that small bout back towards us and go forward with a scope. So it's a very clunky manoeuvre, sort of like one and two steps. Whereas with a power spiral, it is connected to an automatic motor that they do with a foot pedal. So they're pushing on the foot pedal as they're propelling forward and it's sort of gathering it for us. It has a spiral on the end of the scope that is sort of gathering all that tissue to hide behind us. It's amazing. And I guess the exciting thing for you is that this technology is only going to keep expanding. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. When we first did it, I think it all just kind of blew our minds and then doing it the other way as well is just, yeah, it's unheard of. It's very exciting. Yeah, that's so cool. All right. So your number five is how can the bedside nurse care for a patient pre and post endoscopy? 
I really love following our patients all the way through our unit. So from admission to discharge, it's really interesting to see. And I personally think, and I will always be loud and proud about it, the admission is probably one of the most important things of the patient. So that's when we are flagging any sort of background history, any comorbidities, anything that they have often forgotten, they need to be prompted on. So if if you have a patient on the ward that is a little bit forgetful, it is very important to know that full history, I guess. And we're not just an endoscopy area. We often liaise with other teams like cardiac and everything like that. And everything comes into account at the end. It's not just about have they fasted or anything like that. It's about their blood thinners and just that workup, I guess. And I think that workup is really important for the pre-care of the patient before their procedure. It sets the foundation of a safe and a stable environment for them to have their procedure, whether it's diagnostic or therapeutic. So I think that's really important to have a really good history of the patient and make sure that that's what we're communicating to them before and after. Perfect. And what about post-care? What are the sorts of things that bedside nurses really need to think about? I think something that we often overlook or we're confused about the origin of is pain. Pain post-procedure can be normal, but oftentimes it's not. So as I said before, we use CO2 now, we don't use air. So wind pain can be a big flag for us to say that, hey, something's wrong. So there could be a micro tear anywhere in their GI tract that we're looking for that they'll often go to CT or things like that to see if they have a leak. And I think that's what I kind of wanted to touch on today is don't just overlook it and think, you know what, this could be wind pain or is this normal for you? Because it's really important for the doctors to know straight away just in case we do need to send them for further testing for anything that has been done wrong or come out wrong of the procedure, any complications. I really want to go into your unit now and have a look. It's so interesting. I love it. I don't know it at all. (laughs) Fix your fear of pooping. No, probably won't. But <laughs> I don't know. I heard you talk about this with Anna. It, you never know. You need to expose your body to it. Don't they say that? It's like therapy. I think that's called flooding it's in a psychological <laughs> term. Try anything once. <laughs> so, yeah, I think fasting as well is really important. That's more of the anaesthetic side than us. Uh, but I know that Anna touched about it on the bowel prep, but just making sure that we've given them the best care that we can for the scope that they've had. So I hope that me going through some of the scopes that we do today has sort of highlighted what we need to look at more for what scope they are having. But I was told this today by someone and I think it's really true. When they're coming from the ward, we will often say, when are they kneel by mouth from? And they will say midnight. This actually happened to me this morning. And I said, when did they finish their bowel prep? And they said, 4.30 a.m. And I said, that's not nil by mouth. And if this was theatre, this is what was said to me, if this was theatre, they'd be all over it. But because it's endoscopy and colonoscopy, sometimes it can just be missed. And I think the actual words nil by mouth have just lost a lot of meaning. And I think that it's really important for them to know that because we're putting our patient at risk if we're going to put them under sedation and anaesthetic if they have contents in their stomach. Because the number one risk for us in any procedure really is for them to throw that contents up and take it back into their lungs. Mm. They have an unprotected airway. They're completely unprotected as a patient. So we really need to advocate for them and make sure that we're just doing as much as we can to keep them safe by the guidance of the standards that we have, I guess. 
All right, I'm going to have an attempt of summarising this, but I have already said to Zana she may need to give me a hand. So your number one, what is endoscopy and why do we do it? And I've learnt today that endoscopy is the big umbrella term to look with a scope. It's not just looking at the upper GI. That's incorrect. I've been saying that wrong forever. So it's numerous procedures and you're doing it for two reasons. One is for diagnostic. You're having a look for cause. You're checking out symptoms. And number two, for therapeutic, where you're doing something procedural and there's an actual intervention in amongst that. And essentially what I heard was that with the endoscopy, it's you've got um, something that's quite flexible uh, with a little camera on it and you're having a look inside. Yeah, that's it. All right. Number two, what is a gastroscopy? I now know <laughs> this is when you officially are looking at the upper GI ta- um, <laughs> tract. It's quite a simple procedure in terms of procedure, as far as procedures go. It takes about 15 minutes. We do have patients sedated and we're looking at symptoms mainly uh, around reflux and resulting in gastric ulcers or polyps in the stomach. And this is, um, you're looking at the first part of the small bowel duodenum. And the other reason you might be doing this is because people who've had bariatric surgery, if there's been any sort of complications, you'll be using a gastroscopy to just go down and have a look. And the third reason is for surveillance and you're looking for Barrett's esophagus. That's correct. And I also just want to touch on the 15-minute gastroscopy is a very, very straightforward one. Sometimes they can go for an hour or two hours depending if we're treating bleeds or things like that or removing foreign bodies. Okay. Terrific. And we've also just learned that the other reason you might have a gastroscopy is for food bolus if, if people have literally got a collection of food Yeah, so if they've basically tried to eat something and it's not gone all the way down, we would retrieve that and that is often what we would do after hours. It doesn't always have to be food. We just call it a foreign body removal and that could be anything that's stuck down there that we'll go down and retrieve. Right, your number three is what is a colonoscopy and we've got a whole episode on bowel prep and colonoscopy so we're not going to go too far into that. But essentially this is where you're looking through the rectum through to the small bowel and the main things that you're looking for is, you know, anything that's abnormal. Lots of people have colonoscopies purely as an investigative kind of procedure but I guess the other thing is you're looking for polyps, you're looking for any sort of bleeds and that lots of people who have any sort of irritable bowel disease, particularly ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease, um, will need to have regular colonoscopies just to make sure that they're nice and healthy. That's correct. They get very used to taking the bowel prep and they're all champs about it. It's it's very nice. So number four, what are the new other types of scopes in endoscopy? And there's so many exciting things to talk about that I'll probably never be able to say properly. But the first is ERCP, which stands for Endoscopy Retrograde Clangio Pancreatography. Perfect. You (laughs) nailed it. Something like that. And essentially, this is where you're looking at the liver, the gallbladder and the pancreas. Pancreas? Um, And you're looking mainly for stones? Yeah, or any type of thing that would block the ducts up. So sometimes there can be tumours that block it up or growth or any inflammation up there. But stone retrieval is probably the most common reason that we would do it. Great. The other is EUS 
or endoscopy ultrasound. And again, you're looking for stones, tumours and cysts in the liver. Yeah, exactly. We can see all of those ducts behind the walls, which gives us that advantage. And then you've got these two really cool things. One is called a spyglass, but my favourite by far was the power spiral, <laughs> which is an entroscopy. Uh, and you're going in through the mouth, through the gut, through the small bowel to get to the large bowel. Yep, you can go all the way. And it's got a little engine in it and everything. That's right. It's powered. <laughs> all right. Your number five is how can bedside nurses care for a patient? And so pre-endoscopy, you were saying the first thing is, is that really make sure you get that fasting and that prep done correctly. Let's not make people go all through this only to get into you guys in the gastro unit and say, no, I'm sorry, you, you haven't done the correct prep and we've got a, a whole podcast on that. The second is really um, for the admission or for the handover make sure you have done a comprehensive background full history where you're looking at comorbidities and anything that would be important for the people about to do the endoscope to, to understand. So thinking about blood thinners, uh, all really good workup, any comorbidities so that you're nice and prepared and the patient is safe. Then post-procedural, uh, the main thing that you thought was important was to really flag any pain. While it might be normal to have some minor discomfort or minor pain following any of these procedures, any kind of pain that persists or gets worsened really needs an investigation because it means something has gone wrong and there could be a tear and someone in the team should notify your, your team. Absolutely. Anything that wasn't on the baseline of the patient before is worth notifying us. Beautiful. Well, what an interesting topic. Very very science fiction <laughs> It was a bit. <laughs> then can I just say thanks very much for joining us on Five Things today to talk about endoscopy. Oh, thank you so much. I've been so excited about this and I love the podcast. So thank you for having me. Thank you. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders laws, customs, and creation spirits. We recognize that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching, and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen, and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at fivethingsnursing.podbean.com. Please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at LizCrow2. And for me, it's inject underscore orange. We would absolutely love to hear your thoughts, ideas, or feedback. Thanks for listening to Five Things. 